0: Oh, there's Children's Church today, so uh, any children that uh, we have in here, you're excused to go to uh, Children's Church right now. Okay. If Solomon, King Solomon were diagnosed today, he would be diagnosed with a type A personality. He never tried anything halfway. Whenever he tried anything, he tried it with all his might. So we already looked at Solomon trying luxury, learning, and liquor, and this morning, lust. We're looking at uh, basically two passages of Scripture, uh, Ecclesiastes 2.8 that summons his uh, women, and then uh, 2 Kings, which uh, describes his experience, and Proverbs 5, 6, and 7, all proverbs of um, <coughs> of seduction. 700 wives and 300 concubines. 1,000, if you do the math. He'd make the busiest Mormon in Salt Lake City look like a piker. I had only been married a year and a half. And Jan was in the United States. I was thousands of miles away. I had not seen her for now over two months touring uh, most of Europe and the Middle East, the Near East. And I was in uh, Genoa, Italy. Uh, I was walking along the Mediterranean Sea on the Italian Riviera. It was a beautiful, balmy July evening. And uh, two young women came up, one on either side of me. Each one took a hold of my hands And said, may we give you a demonstration in broken Italian? I held up my wedding ring and I said, well, I'm married. They said, well, so are we. That doesn't matter. And I said, no, no, I can't do that. And I insisted. And finally, they went their way and I went mine. Was I tempted? My blood runs red just like everybody else's. It wasn't my first opportunity, and it wouldn't be my last one either. But my dedication to my marriage kept me pure. Have you ever found yourself in the garden of forbidden delights? Well, you will, or maybe all of us here have at some time or another. And it won't be when you're feeling your best and your strongest. I can tell you that Satan doesn't attack us at those times. One of the great classic stories of seduction is told by Homer uh, about Ulysses. He had just returned from the Trojan War in ancient Greece, and there were there was an island of beautiful women who were referred to as sirens, and they had a seductive song, seductive music that lured many of the vessels of sailors to their destruction. And the um, uh, rotting bodies of sailors uh, surrounded that island. And um, Ulysses made all of the sailors on the boat put beeswax in their ears and tie him to the masthead of the ship. So that he could hear the song of the sirens, the seductive songs. And they wouldn't hear and be tempted and lured on to their destruction at the island. Well, he tore at the bonds when he began to hear their music. He pled with them to release him. But of course, they couldn't hear his pleadings. Narrowly escaped. He saved himself by the self-imposed bonds of constraint. He wanted to feel the fires of temptation but he had a plan of a he had a plan actually I should say of, of escape he dodged adultery and he returned home to his dedicated wife and family the moral and the ethic of Jesus is clear resist the devil and he will flee Let me boil it all down. Be faithful with the gift of your sexuality. Why? It is a gift from God. It is given to you for your spouse. It's a gift for your spouse even before you have met him or her. Be faithful with the gift of marriage. You belong to her before you have met her. Now... I got to find my. Got too much in my pockets. Here we go. Here is uh, Solomon's example from the Proverbs. He wrote this. It is uh, five, six, and seven. This is one of the most uh, powerful. Um, essays I might call it on sexual seduction that you will find and here we read at the window of my house I looked out through the lattice I saw among the simple I noticed among the young men a youth who lacked judgment now that states it rather nicely actually what that is saying is this kid is dumb as a rock he was going down the street near her corner whoops walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the sun began to set, as the day was fading, a romantic evening as the dark of night set on or set in. Now, it's a, it's a picture of an evening when moral restraint is low. It's a romantic time of day. And he's taking a very risky route going down where he went uh, even oh. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the evening set on. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute. You could tell by her dress something about her heart? Yes, you could. Is it any different today? Can you tell? I think you can. With crafty intent, she is loud and defiant. Uh, My grandmother had a term for that an obnoxious floozy. That was my grandma's term. Loud and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Very fickle. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner uh, she lurks. She is on the prowl. Actually, If you look closely at the Hebrew there, it's almost describing an animal in heat. She took hold of him and kissed him with brazen passion. Face, she said, I have fellowship offerings at home. Today I fulfilled my vows. She kissed him with brazen face. I have a note on that. She gives the impression of seething passion. Now, the interesting thing about prostitutes is they hate men. They pretend not to hate them. And then look at here. Why she's been to Sunday school and church. You mean you mean some of them go to church? Today I fulfilled my religious duties? Yes. Uh, church becomes a good front, a good mask for a con. So I came out to meet you, I've looked for you, and finally I have found you. Oh, I've searched the world over. You're the one of my dreams. Finally, we have met. I've covered my bed. Oh, she set the stage of colored linens from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Cinnamon. I really like cinnamon on toast. She emptied the entire spice rack in preparation here. Come, let us drink deep of love. Till morning, let's enjoy ourselves with love. The Septuagint translates that agape. Love? What a beautiful, beautiful word. I read that and I think how many deceptive, dishonest things have been done in the name of love. While we thought we were in love. If you really loved me, I've heard that said. Um... Solomon, or excuse me, Samson, Delilah. Three times she says, Where do you get your strength? He tricked her. The fourth time she says, Samson, if you really love me, tell me where you get your strength. And this time the Bible says he told her all his heart, and the strength of God had left him when that Nazarite hair his mother vowed would never be cut was gone, and the Spirit of God left him. And uh you know the terrible consequences that followed. My husband's not at home. It's very safe. He's gone on a long journey. He took a big purse filled with money, so he's going to be going a long time, so it's safe. We will promise never to tell. No one will ever have to know, and um, he's not going to get back very soon, so it's not going to matter. With persuasive words, words of passion, a rhetoric of seduction, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. Well, <clears throat> there is a rhetoric, I think, in seduction. All at once, he follows her like an ox going to the slaughter. All at once, we have gone through, I think, nine verses now. Nine verses of seduction, all at once. Is it sudden? I don't think so. There's choice point after choice point after choice point that gives the opportunity to turn away, like an ox going to the slaughter. Uh, That's not the picture of intelligence, or, uh, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces its liver. Fatal. Like a bird darting, bird without a brain darting into a snare. Little knowing what it's going to cost. Well, what is she charging? Let me tell you, fifty, she, 50 shekels of silver. Look at what it says. Cost him his life. It, that sounds to me like a death sentence. She is very, very expensive. God is the creator, and he has revealed to us all the dreadful consequences of moral compromise. And then, many, Solomon says, are the victims she has brought down, her slain, are a mighty throng. His father, David, he himself, Solomon, Samson, David, go through the Old Testament, one after another, towering figures who were seduced. His, her house is a highway to the, it is a four-lane highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death. It does sound like a death sentence. Several years ago, a beautiful young lady came into my office. Her name was Ava. And she was obviously a broken gal, pregnant. And she said um, she had just lost her job because of her pregnancy, and that her boyfriend had threatened to kill her if she told who he was who had impregnated her. And I thought maybe she was exaggerating. She did tell me his name. I checked out his reputation, and she was not exaggerating. He... Might have killed her, and uh, as she poured out her heart, it desperate for help, because she didn't have any support from anywhere, family. And um, I asked her, I said, "How did you get mixed up with a guy like that?" She said, "Well, he took me places. He bought me gifts. He made me feel like I was somebody. No one had ever made me feel like I was anybody. And then she broke down in tears and she said, oh, what a fool I have been. Well, I got a medical doctor and some help and we saw her through the delivery of the child. Leaving out so many of the details, if Ava were here this morning, what would she say? I think she would say to this audience, there is love in this world. And when you find it, it is beautiful. But there is also counterfeit. And learn to tell the difference. Jesus said, Every man who looks upon a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now, men read this verse and they're very troubled. Often they feel like, does this mean I can't be attracted to a woman? I don't know a man who isn't attracted to a woman who is normal, at least. Every man who looks on a woman to lust after committed adultery with her already in his heart. The adultery was not in the look. He could be attracted. He could be tempted. The sin is not in the look or the temptation. The sin was in his heart. He brings an adulterous heart to the look. That's what makes the look of lust adultery already in his heart he plotted he planned he intended if opportunity for adultery presents itself i will avail myself of it that's the heart he brings to the look that's where that's what's wrong with it <clears throat> you almost had to be there to believe it it happened in a little town in galilee where a pharisee had invited jesus over to his house for lunch A prostitute slipped in. She had an alabaster jar of perfume, and she was crying, and her tears washed down over Jesus' feet. Embarrassed at her own excess, she dried him off with her hair. She literally kissed his feet and rubbed the perfume over them. The host knew her sordid reputation in the community, and Jesus knew her very well also. The host was shocked. He couldn't respect a prophet of God, uh, someone who freely accepted a public physical indulgence of a well-known whore or prostitute, streetwalker. Before the onlookers, she surrendered herself to Jesus in a slavish act of physical and emotional affection. Was he tempted? I don't know. I do know this, he was tempted in all ways just as I, yet without sin. He may have been tempted, but he didn't lust. It was uh, 12 o'clock noon, and uh, in a central town in. uh, Central uh, in Samaria. Jesus had been up or walking since dawn, and he was very tired, and he was very hot. There was a well there, it was called Sychar, and a very well-used woman, I would describe, was drawing water from that well, and Jesus turned to her, and he said, give me a drink. In those four words, Jesus violated... He shattered four Jewish taboos. Number one, she had the wrong nationality, a Samaritan woman. Number two, she was the wrong gender. Jewish men were not to speak in public with the opposite sex. She had asked him to give him the wrong thing, a drink of water, which would have made him ceremonial, uh, ceremonially unclean. He would have to go through a ritual in order to cleanse himself to fit him for worship in the temple. And number four, she was the wrong kind of woman. Five husbands, and she was sleeping with her sixth. Now, John re-relates the disciples' were not there. It was just the two of them, Jesus and that woman. And she was definitely a sexual opportunity. Was Jesus tempted? I don't know for sure whether he was or not. I do know this. Jesus was tempted in all points just as I, yet without sin. I do know that he didn't look upon her with lust in his heart. Temptation is not sin. Temptation is the precondition to sin. We will be tempted. Lust is the sin. These are not the same. The Bible is not prudish or blue-nosed Victorianism. Solomon himself gives us one of the most sublime and erotic poems in all literature in the Song of Solomon, the Song of Songs in the Old Testament. Come, he says, let us go into the fields, the villages, the vineyards. There I will give you my love. The rhetoric, the metaphors, the similes. Hebrew language is stretched to the limit in that book to describe her physical beauty. She is radiant. Ten thousand lack her beauty. Her head of gold, her wavy locks, her tanned and smooth body. Romance is associated in that book with birds and springs of water, milk and spices and flowers and precious stones and ivory and fragrances and trees. She is praised for her beautiful eyes, her hair, her teeth, her nose, her lips, her legs, her cheeks, her neck, her waist, her breasts. Twice her lover exclaims, behold, you are beautiful. Their relationship is invincible, irresistible, beyond price. It overcomes all obstacles. Their attraction to one another goes beyond words. The Bible Bible neither deifies nor denigrates Our sexuality or our physical nature. None of us would be here if it weren't for one moment of lust for someone, but unbridled, it can destroy us in hell. The Bible clearly shows that it's God who created us, who mixed the hot ingredients and put them in us. He then attached strings. Yes, I give you this wonder, this passion. With strings attached. There are requirements. There are restrictions. It's a wonder. But there are strings. And then we're surrounded with enticements. Constantly. To self-indulge. To songs of the sirens are sung. At us. Over us. Almost every day. I uh, studied uh, the road into alcoholism. Years ago. And uh, from that. I wrote a a description of the journey into sexual seduction. I I could take you through every single one of these points in some detail, and the thinking, the thought, the psychology of every one of these points in the road to adultery. The road to adultery. Um, Stage number one, Jip cheated, unhappy. I thought marriage would be something more than this, and it hasn't turned out to be all I dreamed. And then what Jan and I, in our marriage and divorce counseling, call dry rot. This is where a person just resigns himself to the hopelessness in his own marriage. Well, maybe I need to lower the bar. Maybe my expectations for marriage were too high. Leaning over the precipice. Here is the lure of an affair. And then there is the look in the eyes at one another. And just a, a, a rather harmless touching of one another. And then... Conscience is sidestepped. Opportunity beckons. And then one looks around. Well, are there others adulterers around me? Well, we're surrounded by them. They're almost everywhere you look. Sixty percent of men in our society have committed adultery. Forty percent of women in our culture have committed adultery. And so they're everywhere. Well, do they get curvature over the spine immediately after they commit adultery? No. They look pretty normal just like anybody else. But they've sinned. Hooked. Passion escalates, and there's probably at this point only 10,000 odds to one that they're going to return. And I've heard them say, we wonder now, I wonder now if I ever really loved her. And I think, that's baloney. Ask him at the marriage altar, why are you here? Well, I love her. What happens? Sometimes frustration, anger, hostility can smother love to the point where they've forgotten even what it feels like. They had it. They've lost it. Then there's the terminal point, a fork in the road, and uh, they submit. Solomon describes it like this, or it's described for this. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from all nations, uh, about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. What happened? Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth, 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Asheroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch. Moloch was a god who was worshipped with child sacrifice, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Moloch, child sacrifice, the detestable god of the Ammonites, the the king of Moab, sacrificed the crown prince, his son, the crown prince of Moab. He sacrificed him on the... um, on the the wall of the city in a battle against the Israelites. And the Israelites were so undone by seeing that Moabite king sacrifice the crown prince, the Bible says they turned and went back home. We don't know really what struck them other than that terrible sacrifice. He did the same. And incidentally, in the city of Jerusalem, down at the base (coughs) of, um, uh, just uh, south of the uh, city of David, is a garbage heap. It's still referred to as Gehenna, as hell. And it's where this idol of Moloch was set up. It's considered a detestable spot to this day by the Jews in Jerusalem. He who did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods, seduced by these women. The divine order for every Desire, God gives us, he provides a solution, a fulfillment. Marriage and family are defined, and both marriage and definition of family today fly into the face of American law, American's definition of sex, American's definition of marriage and family. It is attempted to completely obliterate the classical definition of marriage, which has been observed, a husband to a wife, in every culture in the world, throughout history. How can we do that? <clears throat> the message of Christ is clear. Guard your impulses. Set a sentinel at the gate of your heart. Plant in your heart the vocabulary of purity, of virtue, of trust. I cannot and I will not violate the law of God. I trust Jesus too much to defy his words. Hollywood doesn't help us very much, I'll tell you that. You don't see very, mo- <clears throat> very much uh, monogamy in the media, on TV, on Broadway, or in movies, you see an awful lot of sexual promiscuity We're blitzed with it, and adultery. But there was one production some years ago that exalted monogamy, a man and a woman in marriage. It was a Broadway play by Sigmund Romberg entitled Desert Song. And um, in that musical, actually, it was a musical, it was a Broadway play, and it was made into a movie. But it was one man to one woman for life. And there's a song in that Broadway play that goes like this. It has the adventurer from the desert... Uh, In the palace garden, and the palace gardener is there tending the flowers in the garden, and um, he turns to the wayfaring desert adventurer, and he sings, One flower grows alone in your garden, its fragrant sweetness will soon pass away. So gather your precious collection, all harem of blossoms. Love's fire to consume. One love, one love alone is not enough. Howard Keel sings the desert song in reply, and it goes like this. I have heard all that you have been saying, yet I alone will love in my own way. Lonely as a desert breeze i may wander where i please yet i keep on longing just to rest awhile where a sweetheart's tender eyes take the place of sand and skies all the world's forgotten in one woman's smile one alone to be my own one alone to know her caresses mine to be eternally the one my worshiping soul possesses. At her call, I'd give my all, all my love and all my life enduring, and this would be a magic world to me if she were mine alone. You don't often hear that from Hollywood, but you know what it echoes it echoes the beautiful words in the Song of Solomon who Solomon, with all those wives, the Song of Solomon presents the beauty, the depth, the romance, the reward of one man to one woman eternally. In these simple words, Solomon put it, I am my beloved's And my beloved is mine. I would that that's everyone's story. That takes courage, will, sacrifice, dedication, all those wonderful things that God has exalted and given to us. Now, if you have not put on Christ, then you seek me out or one of the elders here And we will show you the royal road into Christ for eternal hope and eternal blessing. Let's stand together and sing our closing song.